0: Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast.
1: We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters
2: Club, an online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This week, you're hearing from me, Philippa Gray, and from Pat Caslin.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. And we also have a special guest, Christopher Payne, who's the newest member of Shilling Toastmasters.
0: Hello, thank you for having me.
2: It's great that you're here, Christopher. But first, I'm going to ask Pat, have you had any big ideas this week?
1: I've had a few big ideas and I'll talk about one of them in the soapbox, Philippa, but probably the one that's been exercising me the most is the speech that I'm giving tomorrow night to a charity golf outing for a depression charity in Dublin called Aware they've asked me if I would speak at after the outing for about to about 70 people for probably 10 to 15 minutes and it's much more difficult when you've got to come up with something that is focused on or targeted at a particular group of people for for a particular event, particularly when they're enjoying themselves after a round of golf. I've had quite a bit of time to, to try and get my head around exactly what I would say. And I'm guessing that I've finally settled on a theme which I hope will resonate. I focused on my own story about getting MS 15 years ago and struggling with the time that it became progressive and my obsession with They're trying to overcome this illness through diets and other things and turning everybody's life upside down. And the subsequent realization of a couple of things that what Confucius said, we have two lives. The second one starts when we realize we only have one life. That was very much the case for me. So I'm in my second life, which is the title of the speech in my second life. And the other realization was that when you get a chronic illness, You need to look at the extent to which you obsess about overcoming it, in which case you end up so focused on your illness that you stop living your life or you focus on your health and you enjoy the health that you have and live with the illness because it's going to be there anyway. You're probably not going to get rid of it That's my big realisation. And it's taken me nearly 15 years to come to that conclusion that I'm much better I'm much happier living with my illness and enjoying my health than I am with fighting my illness and having no health to enjoy at all. So that's my big thought for the week.
2: Thank you, Pat. That sort of fits with mine. Um, I've had a pretty awful week and I, I thought I was going to be injected, ejected from my first life when you know, I I do all the right things health-wise, I go along for every scan, every check that I'm invited to, I take every inoc- inoculation I've ever been offered and yeah, last week I was, I don't know why, but I was surprised to get a follow-up letter. Um, you know, you've had your regular scan. It looked rather interesting. No need to worry, but come and see us on Wednesday. And, oh dear. You know, I go along to Toastmasters. I talk about Stoicism. You know, I really mean what I say, I thought. But one little letter like that and I am suddenly unmasked as not the least bit Stoic. Thrown into a complete panic. Oh dear. Cancel the rest of my life. Can't think about anything but uh, this wretched letter. So anyway, I did calm down. I haven't actually cancelled the rest of my life, and I found that it was it's nice way of distracting myself. I don't know if it would work for anybody else, but try and turn anything that's happening to you into a speech. Do you want to share this with somebody? Will they want to hear it? How are you going to present it? It's I say it's a great way of distracting yourself without actually telling yourself to forget all about it and go and do something else because I had zero concentration. Um, so I was h- thinking quite deeply about could this experience be a funny speech? And ooh, could I make it funny? If I did, would it be appreciated? I think this. Probably a risk, especially as I'm not an experienced um, comic speaker of actually just upsetting people. Yeah, you know, I know we're on Zoom, but I'd still probably notice if I had half the audience in tears by the end of the speech. Or worse still, they suddenly all fell off Zoom for whatever reason. So, yeah, my big thoughts have been about. Should I do a humorous speech? What constitutes it? How do I know if I'm getting it right? And I haven't actually come to any conclusion on those thoughts beyond, I'm sure I've been told this lots of times. To do that, I'd have to make sure I was speaking from the heart. Probably be a good idea to make sure I thought it was funny. Although I've seen people fall flat on their faces delivering a speech that they, clearly they thought was funny. And, I won't be making that humorous speech just yet, but you never know. As time passes, it might turn into something. And yeah, I went to the hospital today and everything's fine. So back on track for the moment, but yeah, I probably ought to um, think about what Confucius said about my second life and yeah, focus on that. So thank you, Pat. I think that brings part one of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast to the end. Join us in a minute for part two. <laughs> welcome back to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. In part two, Pat Caslin is going to interview Christopher Payne, the newest member of Shilling Speakers.
1: Thank you very much, Philippa, and very welcome, Christopher, to our podcast.
0: Hi, uh, thank you very much for having me on your show.
1: Well, it's wonderful to have guests on the show and it's wonderful particularly to have guests that are relatively new to Toastmasters. How long have you been a Toastmaster for Christopher?
0: Uh, It's coming up to just under a year now. Uh, I joined November last year, um, but I'm still yet to attend my first shilling speakers meeting as a new member
1: well that will start this evening which is wonderful it'll be great to have you and you are sergeant at arms in bristol central speakers i understand
0: that's right i was uh, volunteered for the role by the uh, rest of the committee and but, but i'm glad that i actually uh, made that move because um uh, I, I think toastmasters is all about getting involved and 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 doing your little bit to, to keep the show running
1: well, it certainly is. What brought you to Toastmasters in the first place, Christopher? I I, can't, I
0: I heard about it quite a while ago, probably about 10, 12 years ago, just listening to a motivational speaker and um, they sort of mentioned it as an off the cuff statement as to how they uh, got into to, to public speaking. And, uh, but it was only recently, um, I, I thought oh, I'll just go along, see what it's like. Um, and and I enjoyed the format, and that's what kept me coming back.
1: And what do you think you'll get from it in terms of your work life or your personal life? Or What's your ambition for it?
0: That's a good question. I, I actually believe Toastmasters offers more than just the public speaking experience. I mean, starting with the public speaking skill that you develop there, I think it's a good environment that it's a safe space really where you're able to practice receive feedback test out new ideas flex your style try things you've not tried before and that's obviously a very useful thing to have a good thing to fall back on if you if you then want to take it to another level i've i've actually found toastmasters i think i mean i, I i'm probably not the person to judge but in some i don't want to i don't know how to say this in the right way but it's sort of making me a slightly more interesting person. Um, Just from the fact that if I spot something interesting, I read something interesting, rather than sort of letting it pass me by and go into the ether, I think I'm gonna write that down. There's a little seedling of an idea for a speech. And so I've now got quite a few one-line Word documents sort of sitting there that hopefully another thought will come along that's related that will pad them out and, and I'll have other things to talk about. But yes, you asked um, what personally I'd like to get from it. I'd like to um, incorporate uh, uh, a bit more public speaking into my into my professional life.
1: Tell us a little bit more about your professional life and what exactly you do. I understand that you're an actuary. Do you want to explain what actuaries do? Maybe not everybody understands.
0: Oh, the the, uh, the uh, what is what is an actuary question? Well, I, I, I get asked this a lot, Pat. Um, in fact, I'd say probably two thirds of the people who, uh, who I say I'm an actuary to um, uh, either don't know or, or pretend to know. I mean, uh, an actuary is, I would describe them as statisticians for financial service companies and in particular for insurers. For products or, or, or concepts such as pensions and insurance, there's a lot of statistics that are needed in order to make those things happen. And it's the actuaries in the background that do that.
1: And do actuaries get much public speaking opportunity if they're in the background,
0: Christopher? Uh, typically, it's uh, it's uh, it's seen as a as a sort of a back office role, um, highly analytical, lots of time spent behind or well, nowadays a computer crunching numbers. It is also very important to be able to communicate those analyses, and and especially in the last few decades, the actuarial profession has concentrated very heavily on developing its fellows to be better communicators. I mean, there's no point coming up with a good idea unless you can communicate it.
1: Well, I agree with you. So you're not going to be one of those actuaries that they compare with accountants whose social skills um, are are different and they, in that accountants look at your shoes when they're talking to you and actuaries look at their own shoes. You're not going to be one of those kind of actuaries, no?
0: (laughs) Well, I th- I think it's important for your listeners to know there's um three types of actuary, uh those that can count and those that can't. <laughs>
1: yes. That 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 that, that, the timing. that 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 did that did take a moment. I wouldn't have thought that actuary well sorry, I know that um at the Society of Actuaries does a lot of conversations. I have two brothers who are actually, so I understand that the society um does a lot of presentations, but I think you I think you're right in what you say, in that the ability to communicate complex things simply um, is really valuable. Do you think you'll get that opportunity to practice that in Toastmasters? Will you be bringing us complex ideas reduced to simplicity?
0: Yeah, uh, another good question. I um, After doing my icebreaker, I thought I would um, treat Bristol Central speakers to a talk on the concepts of insurance and pensions. I think I exhausted all the interesting things to say about those subjects, and um, I'm not sure how much they want me to to come back with a part two. Um, So for the time being, I'm concentrating on delivering speeches on topics that I think will be of greater interest, and therefore sort of looking at my own, sort of uh, developing my communication skills, sort of um, away from the actual actual subject material. Is it, yeah, so I I think it, because of the subject matter, it might be a difficult thing to bring into the Toastmasters environment. But that said, I, I mean, it's helped me uncover some interesting anecdotes about insurance and pensions that, um, I mean, these sort of little bits of uh, gems of, uh, of comments are, are useful to use sort of, you know, in the workplace, I suppose.
1: Very good. Do you want to share one of those little anecdotes with us before we finish?
0: Okay. I mean, the actuarial profession itself um, has quite a a rich history. It goes back to um, the 17th century where uh, one of the first um, people we could call an actuary was Sir Edmund Haley, who was also famous for discovering Haley's Comet. He he actually um, produced what, what actuaries call a life table, which is uh, a table of information that um, uh, holds data about how long people live and, and, you, and you need those in order to, to develop um, insurance, life insurance and pensions. Um, also, um, so after the great fire of London, the, um, insurance companies, um, set up firehouses, which were a precursor to the fire brigade. They realized that, um, it's much better to have, um, the, this, um, fire brigade resource to sort of mitigate the risk and not let the house burn down, but actually sort of try and put the fire out and, and reduce the claim cost. But uh, things were a bit different back then. You'd have a, a little um, sign on your house saying which insurance company you were assigned to, and there were different fire brigades associated with different insurers. So, if your house was burning down and a particular fire brigade turned up and they realised you're actually not with their insurer, they'd drive off again and you'd have to wait, hoping the right one would turn up. So. In that respect, I thought it was interesting that um, insurers were were sort of, you know, a a big part in the development of, of, you know, something we take for granted now, the fire brigade. That's
1: a fascinating story. I would never have known that. Um, These are kinds of anecdotes that I think we'd love to hear in Toastmasters. Christopher, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. And I'm looking forward to you coming to shilling and speaking. Are you competing this evening?
0: I'm not competing, but i'll be uh, I'll, I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's speeches and um, no, thank you very much for having me.
1: Thank you very much. Back to you, Philippa.
2: Thank you, Pat and Christopher. I can't resist temptation to share my story about actuaries. over forty years ago, when I was a just undergraduate studying statistics, I was looking for what career to do, and the advice was. Actuarial work is for people who find accountancy too exciting. So um but I'm sure that's not the case. I didn't become an actuary or an accountant.
1: So there you go, you've got an actuary, an accountant, and a computer scientist in the room today. So <laughs> we shall move on from statistics and other things. That's the end of part two of this week Chilling Toastmasters podcast. Mm-hmm.
2: Welcome to part three of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Today we have Pat Castellin on the soapbox. He's going to talk about how to be a better evaluator. I shall be listening very, very closely because every time I think, "Ah, oh, got evaluation nailed," I open my mouth and out comes a really boring, substandard evaluation. So, please, Pat. Give us some
1: good advice. Thank you, Philippa. This afternoon, I'm going to talk about my approach to evaluations. I'm Vice President Education of a club called Masters of Evaluation in District 1. We are probably not at Mastery, some way, short of Mastery, and I'm developing a plan to bring the club to Mastery, which has got a number of of elements to it. And I'd like to talk about those. First thing, before that though, the we, there are two ways that you can evaluate. There, you can evaluate the producer qualities of the speech, which is all of the technical things like the structure and the organization and the vocal variety and the gestures and all of the things that go to the making of a speech. Or you can evaluate the consumer qualities of the speech. The consumer qualities of the speech are the impact that it has in the audience, whether it's persuasive, how it was received, and it's an evaluation not from how was it, how was it built, but um, and presented or given, but how was it received in the uh, in, in the audience's ears? And that's about: does it have a purpose? Is it relatable? Was I involved in the speech? Was I observing it? Did it? makes sense to me, the, and the, the the quality that the Greeks called ethos, and ethos was, did I believe this speaker was someone I could relate to? Because if you can relate to the speaker, well, then the message is much more easier, easy to accept. If you can't relate to the speaker, you tend to discard the message much more quickly. So the consumer qualities, the producer quality of creating ethos is a really important consumer quality if you want your speech to be properly consumed. The standard of evaluation, I think, that we find or I find in most clubs and most contests um, that we go to is not great, in my opinion, because it focuses on the easily identifiable things, the vocal variety, the gestures. It doesn't really focus on content, on structure, on organization, I think, because these things are much more difficult and much more ephemeral and hard to get a handle on. And these are the things, though, that make an impact in speeches. You should never make a speech without a purpose in making it. But very often the purposes are confused, or they're not clear, or that the argument doesn't build to the purpose, or that we don't understand what the purpose of this speech is. So purpose is really important. Relatability is really important. And when we evaluate, we should evaluate on those things. Did, was there a purpose? Did this speech change me? Did I find that I could relate to the speaker? And therefore was the message much more clearly um, made and persuasive because of that. So to get our club up to a much higher standard of evaluation, what I'm going to, I'm planning to do to uh, propose to the members is to up the evaluation quotient of every meeting. So we'll probably do away with table topics, and we may do away with table topics. We'll probably have two evaluators for each speech. We'll cut down on the number of speeches. So we've got two evaluators for each speech so that we're not hearing just one evaluation, we're hearing a second. And we're looking at bringing in what we call a master evaluator role. And the master evaluator is not just the general evaluator, but the master evaluator will focus on a particular aspect of the speech so that we can go deep on the aspect and understand that aspect of the speech in a really deep way. And that might be, for example, purpose. So if we look at the speech's purpose and we say, and get, and the idea of leaving table topics out though, is that we create time for every member in the room to comment on, to give their comment on this particular purpose. So. Christopher, what did you think of the of the purpose The purpose of this speech was and why? Philippa, what did you think the purpose of this speech was and why? Everybody gets a chance to talk about one aspect in some depth, a couple of minutes, like a table topic. And then the master evaluator comes back and draws that together and say, well, actually, here's the other thing. This is what how I saw it. And here are the reasons that I saw it. So that when you come to evaluate a speech, for purpose, for example, you will have real capability to go deep because you will recognize how that speech was structured and what purpose it had, and how good and how persuasive was that purpose. Similarly, on, um, for example, on another speech, it might be it might be gestures. Were the gestures co- congruent with the speech, or were they overacted? Did they add to the speech? Did they take away from the speech? It might be vocal variety. It might be other producer qualities. But the idea is that we go really deep on evaluations of particular aspects and we get members involved in evaluating those particular aspects and seeing how others saw them so that there is a deep seam of understanding of how to evaluate a particular aspect of a speech. Because when you compete in a, in a speech in an evaluation contest or a speech evaluation contest, what you should be doing is going deep on one or two aspects, maybe even only one, give examples, and then conclude. That's how you win contests. Not by skimming the surface, unless it's a really weak judging panel, in which case they only understand things on the surface. And they don't understand real depth of speaking. So I think... We need to raise our standards of evaluation so that we get much better content, much less play acting and speeches, and much more real impact so that people are changed by what we say and we understand how we change them by what we say so that when we get to the pivotal moments in our lives, when the words we use matter, we choose the right words. That, to me, is what Toastmasters is about. In the pivotal moments in our lives, the words we use matter. Back to you, Philip.
2: Thank you, Pat. There's a lot to think about there. I think I shall be listening to this several times over once the podcast is published. So that is the end of this week's podcast, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Christopher for being our amazing guest. Thank you to Pat. And next week, you might have just noticed us, uh, something missing from this week. Uh, we're rather hoping Paul O'Mani might be back, but he couldn't join us this week because he's, quote, getting on a plane. Um, uh, now I've got a few friends who've got on planes and not actually been able to find a return flight. So fingers crossed, Paul will be back next week. In the meantime, it's goodbye from me.
0: Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.
2: That's it for today from the Schilling Toastmasters podcast.
0: Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.